You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Before we move into our gathering, um, I want to offer some thoughts. It's been a heavy week, and I want to read a scripture with you, and then we're going to sing, we're going to worship, we're going to lament, and then we're going to move into um, more deeply into this gathering together. As a pastor, I've been doing this now for about 20 years. Uh, when I stumble into hard moments, and the hard weeks, and the hard days, when the weight of the world just seems to be heavier on my shoulders, whether it's due to my own sin or the brokenness of the world, I turn to Timothy uh, in the New Testament, and I imagine myself receiving this letter from Paul. As Timothy was this young guy, this, this young preacher, just trying to remember what it means to pastor a church that was um, divided at times, and, and just struggling like any other congregation struggles, and I think Timothy was probably struggling with his calling and being faithful to what God had told him. Paul wrote this in his second letter to Timothy, which may have been Paul's last letter. He said this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I ask you, please be with us here. Stay with me in this reading and in this moment. It's important. Paul said, but know this, difficult times will come in the last days. And church, we're in the last days. For people would be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. And listen to this, verse 5. This is the part that gets me. Holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. And then Paul says the hardest thing of all, he says, avoid these people. Avoid these people. Holding to the form of godliness. Maybe going to church, maybe they go to church, maybe, maybe they, they pray, maybe they sing praise songs, I don't know. Maybe they, they look godly, but their life denies its power. So then Paul, later on in the text, he says this, and it's fitting in the context, I think. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in his kingdom, proclaim the message, persist, persist in it, whether convenient or not. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when they, and the days talking about other people we've just discussed, will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. They will turn away from hearing the truth and turn aside to myths. But as for you, be serious about everything, endure hardship, do the work of evangelism, fulfill your ministry. There are those weeks where I'm reminded that fulfilling this ministry looks very specific and concrete. We are all by now aware of how racism runs rampant in our country's history and in our country's present. And it's not just racism. It's what we would call ethnic superiority, or another word, that, a phrase that becomes a little more charged, but that is nonetheless true, is white supremacy. The writer of Proverbs once said in Proverbs 1.20, wisdom shouts out in the streets, in the public square, she raises her voice. We are to be a people of wisdom, people who see the world for what it is. 
But because we are secure in our faith and we're secure in our identity in Christ, we can call things what they are. We don't have to soften it because we can't. I can't. Timothy couldn't. Timothy wouldn't because Paul didn't because Jesus would not. I'm reminded of some of the moments King Jesus used strong words. Listen to this. He used words like whitewash walls and hypocrisy when he talked to the leaders. He, used, he called them children of snakes. He said to them, You're a, you are of your father the devil. He also said that they neglected the weightier matters of the law, one of which was justice. He even turned over to tables of greed and power. There's no doubt that King Jesus would offer an invitation to repentance and an invitation to forgiveness to those who are on this receiving end of these words. But Jesus also knew what I think Paul knew, that the threads of faith that are sewn together with the reign of sin and death that's within each one of us must be pulled And whether we like that or not, words can do that. True wisdom is never silent around hard things. Wise people must give voice to the truth left unsaid. When we don't say something, we are saying something. I've heard for years, many white Christians talk about racial reconciliation, and I'm glad for that. But my reading of the Hebrew and Christian scriptures teach me that justice is not the same as reconciliation. Justice must come before reconciliation. If we want unity, I've heard Christians talk about want unity. If we want unity, if we want healing, there has to be justice. So injustice must be called what it is, and it must be given the name it deserves. Only when justice is called what it is, and given the injustice, and given the name it deserves, only then can it be as concrete as it really is, so only then can it be seen as concrete as it is within the fabric of the human heart. Only then can repentance take place. And if repentance is genuine, then in the spirit of the faithful Israelite and Judean kings of old, in the spirit of Jesus, injustice must be dismantled and lamented until it is. Justice is not complete and reconciliation is impossible. Ahmad Arbery was not murdered. He was not killed. He was lynched. He was lynched because he was black. He was running in a neighborhood in which he, according to the two men, well, the three men who were part of this, he was running in a neighborhood he didn't belong. My hope is that white Christians will openly denunciate the death of Ahmaud Arbery and call it what it is, a lynching as an expression of white supremacy. To call it anything else, in my opinion, is to miss the larger narrative at work. White fragility and defensiveness has no place, family, and it has no purpose. We are not just a church of white people. We are a church of many people. When one hurts, we all hurt. 
Paul told us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And so do my brothers and sisters of color in this congregation. I weep with you. And I am sorry for the world and the narrative that we have created. And my hope is that as a church family, we will not relent in naming things and then acting in such a way that brings the kind of justice of God and shalom God desires to this city, maybe in some small way to this nation and to this world. Ahmaud Arbery was lynched by the weaponized minds and blood-stained hands of white supremacy, nothing less. The systems, institutions, policies, ideologies, and leaders that support them armed these minds and provoked these hands. And they must be seen as they are, called what they are, repented of, and dismantled. The church of King Jesus must stand with Miss Wanda, Arbery's mother, whose Mother's Day today looks very different, must stand with all who experience trauma as a result of what has happened in this country. And as a church, we must live into the work for God's justice and of dismantling the principalities and powers of evil that uphold and promote all forms of white supremacy. And in order to do that, we've got to get our language right. And we need to pray. My hope is that you heard me. My hope is that you didn't just turn this off. If you did, I guess you didn't hear my hope. My hope is that we are stirred and uncomfortable and provoked and humble. So, if you would, let's pray. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.